Welcome to Good Enough Creative, a podcast for creative people. Welcome back. I'm your host, Marie Green, and today I want to talk about the rules. Who makes them? Why do they exist? And what happens if we break them? I want to start by having you think about all the rules you've heard about art. There's probably a lot of them, but specifically the rules you've been told about the kinds of art you love most. Now in knitting, which is my specialty, we joke about the knitting police. They don't technically exist. Well, they're self-appointed, but they show up in the form of other people who believe they're the keepers and the enforcers of the imaginary rules of knitting society. Now, I don't know this for a fact, but I bet that there are fiction writing police and memoir police and watercolor painting police and all of the other rule makers, keepers, enforcers that they don't really exist, but they sort of show up in our experience, usually through someone else saying something critical or telling us we're doing it wrong. I've met many a knitter who was discouraged and even shamed by someone who said, you're doing that wrong. And I'm sorry, but aren't we here for the joy of being a maker? Why in the world would we be scolding or shaming other people for not following the rules, in quotes, as we perceive them? And while we're here, I'd like to challenge that word rules, because I think there are very few actual rules in art. The thing we're mostly up against when it comes to creative rules aren't rules at all. They're traditions. And traditions may come with deeply held beliefs and reverence. But just because that's how it's always been done doesn't mean it's the right way or the only way to do it. I recently met a woman who makes clay pots and paints them to sell in her adobe home on Taos Pueblo in Taos, New Mexico. She told me a story about how her grandmother taught her to throw the clay, and all she could think about after that point was that she wanted to decoratively paint the pots after she made them. And we're talking, she paints them to look like quilt blocks. So if you've ever driven by a barn that has quilt blocks painted on the side, you'll see it sometimes in the Midwest. Here in Oregon, we have some barns like that along the coast. So if, you, if you've ever seen something like that, it's, it's that kind of painting, and she paints them onto the pots. Now, her grandmother told her, well, that's not the tradition of our people, but if you want to paint them, you can. Now, other members of her family jumped in and they're like, look at what your granddaughter's doing. That's not the tradition of our people. And her grandmother, in her gloriously rebellious way, said, my granddaughter will begin a new tradition. And that's the kind of rule-breaking attitude I'm talking about, friends. I think that many rules, especially when it comes to art, are really traditions. Rules like how to mix clay and how long to fire a pot exist because they're simply the way things work. And if you want to work in that medium, you have to know the core structure of the art form to get results. The problem is that we treat the structure of the art form and the tradition of the art form as if they're the same. And the truth is they're not. But I do suspect that some folks will disagree with me here and that's okay. But let's keep unpacking this. I'm going to use knitting as my example here because it's my specialty and it's what I can speak to with the most authority. 
I've designed hundreds of knitting patterns, written five books. I lead a virtual knitting community called Knit Camp. We're in our fifth year as I speak, and I've taught knitting workshops around the world. And one of the things I love to teach is about breaking the rules. But before I teach my community and my students how to break the rules, or really traditions, but we'll keep talking it through, I always start with a few important truths. The rules are what they teach you when you're new. They're the basic requirements that must be in place in order to produce or do the thing you want to do. The problem is we learn both rules and traditions, usually at the same time, as if they are one and the same. Rules might relate to supplies or process, but they exist because without them, the art simply cannot exist in the form you expect it to. So for example, if you want to be a painter, but you refuse to use any kind of paint and instead you create art with fabric, it would still be art, but it wouldn't technically be a painting. You can make a sculpture out of a birthday cake, but if you put a birthday cake into your kiln and try to fire it, I would imagine it would be a hot mess. It certainly wouldn't become pottery. In knitting, we have a rule about knitting something called a gauge swatch, which used to be called a tension square. You don't have to be a knitter for this to make sense, so stick with me. When you're knitting something like a sweater, you start by making a small square of knit fabric using a specific size needle and a specific yarn and stitch pattern. We do this to measure how many stitches we have over a given space, which is how we can determine if what we're about to knit is going to fit the way we expect it to. Now, if you sew, this isn't much different than cutting out a pattern piece. The fabric is already made for you, but it's still a matter of measurement. A piece of fabric this size put together in this specific way will result in a piece of clothing that fits your body. Now with knitting or crochet, there's an extra step because you also have to make the fabric while you're making the shape. Starting with a gauge swatch or a little square of fabric about four inches or 10 centimeters in size that you knit ahead of time using the same yarn and the same needles that you're going to use for your sweater will help you end up with the size you expect. If you don't knit a gauge swatch, it's very likely that your sweater will not fit, or at least it won't fit the person you're knitting it for. Knitting a gauge swatch takes about 30 minutes. Knitting a sweater takes about 80 to 100 hours, really depends on the sweater. Now, wouldn't it make sense that someone who's about to spend 80 to 100 hours knitting a sweater wouldn't mind an extra 30 minutes ahead of time to make sure it's going to fit? But you'd be surprised. (laughs) Many knitters think that breaking the rules with a wink, wink, nudge, nudge means walking on the wild side and not knitting a swatch. The reason I'm talking about gauge swatching is because it's the perfect example of what knitters think of when I say break the rules. But what I'm really talking about here is understanding why the rules exist and then identifying what's really a rule and what's a tradition. Traditions can be changed. In fact, that's part of history is seeing traditions change over time. There's a beauty in some traditions that are carried forward, but just because that's how it's always been done doesn't mean that's how it always has to be done. If you understand that knitting a little gauge swatch before you knit a sweater is an essential part of knitting garments that fit, then you'd realize there's a reason for that rule and it's not one you'd want to break. 
Ironically, this is the one rule that most knitters like to break. (laughs) But when someone jokes and tells me they never knit a gauge swatch, what that says to me is that they don't actually understand what a gauge swatch is for and why it's important. My job as a fiber artist and educator is to help others get the very best results. And part of that is shining a light on why we do these silly things like knit a four inch swatch of fabric and measure it before we start knitting a sweater. A gauge swatch tells you how many stitches you have per inch. It's really no different than pixel size, right? And it's the only way you'll know for sure if the sweater you're going to knit will have the correct finish measurements because knitting is math and it's based on the number of stitches and what size they are. Not knitting one is like deciding to sew a dress but not paying attention to which lines you're cutting the pieces on. If you've ever seen sewing patterns, the different sizes are indicated by lines and you cut around the lines for the size you want. So not knitting a gauge swatch is like just cutting around whichever lines you want without paying attention to which ones they are. In the end, you have a dress or sweater, but who knows who it will fit. It's like going to the store and buying something off the rack with your eyes closed and getting it home and just hoping it'll work. So can you technically knit or crochet a sweater without knitting a gauge swatch? Yes, but if you understand why that rule exists, you probably wouldn't want to. Now, I only have a cursory knowledge of pottery, but I assume it's similar to knowing the right temperature for your kiln and how long pieces need to be in there in order to be properly fired. Or understanding that you have to organize your writing into sentence structure for other people to be able to read it. Some rules hold the whole thing up. Now, traditions, on the other hand, are the rules we can bend and break. Now, I'm not saying I don't honor the beauty of tradition. I do. I was taught to knit by my grandmother, and she was taught to knit by her aunt. And of course, we value the traditions that were passed down to us. But just because we're taught one way to do something doesn't mean that's a rule. If it doesn't hold the whole thing up, then maybe it's subject to change. But what happens is we so often pass down traditions to those around us, but we call those rules too. This is how you have to do it. And if you don't do it that way, it's wrong. And that's a very long way for us to come around to the topic of breaking rules or rather traditions when we are inspired to do so. When you know the basics and you start to see the difference between the rules that hold up the structure of the art versus the traditions that people widely hold, you can start to see where there's room for creativity. If you're feeling stifled in your creative practice, ask yourself, what's holding me back? Am I living by a set of rules that someone else gave to me? And are they really rules or are they traditions? Do you have to go to art school to be an artist? No. That's not a rule. Do you have to hold your knitting needles one specific way in order to be a proper knitter? No, that's not a rule. There are countless different ways to hold your needles and your yarn. I have two friends, Jen and Megan, who are potters. Megan used to be a cake decorator, and when she and Jen started their pottery business, Megan began piping decorative elements onto the pottery using the same kind of techniques that she used in cake decorating. At the time, that's not how traditional pottery was being done, but it's a perfect example of breaking with tradition and coming up with something brilliant. Just because it hasn't been done before, or at least you've never seen it be done, doesn't mean you can't do it. 
She started doing this years ago, and now it's not that unheard of. I've started seeing this elsewhere too. She broke with tradition and she created a new one. And I will link to my friends, Jen and Megan, Jam PDX is their business. I'll link to them in the show notes so you can see what I'm talking about. That's the kind of rule breaking that any of us can do as creative people. Well, to be fair, not anyone. I'm not a great potter and I have zero cake decorating skills, but you know what I mean. You can challenge the traditions and you can make your own. So when the art police or knitting police or quilting police or some other rule enforcer tells you that you're doing it wrong, ask yourself, is this really a rule or is this a tradition? I don't recommend starting a brand new hobby that you know very little about and then deciding you're just going to throw all the rules and traditions out the window and invent your own process right out of the gate. That could work for someone. I mean, who am I to say? But what works best for most of us is to take the time to get to know the art form, learn the rules and the traditions so that you understand what they do and why they exist, and then experiment. Color outside the lines, test the traditions, inch closer to the boundaries to see what happens. And if you want to break one of the core rules, break it, learn from it, and then you'll know more for next time. If you break an important rule and the worst happens, then you'll just know not to break that one in the future. As long as no one gets hurt, then consider it a lesson and keep going. Creativity practically begs us to be rebellious, but it can be scary to go into the unknown, especially when you don't want to fail. But creativity is all just one big experiment, and failure is just an opportunity to learn how things work. I've had 101 failures over the years, but I've learned a lot along the way, and you will too. When you lead with curiosity, anything can happen. If you love this podcast and would like to support the show and receive bonus episodes, please consider becoming a premium subscriber like Kathy. Paula, Patty, and Carol. Until next time, my friend, you've got this. Mm-hmm.